This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. But they know that we can't go there. Uh, Putin is trying to bait the trap so that uh, we go in and that's the beginning, could be the beginning of World War III. Uh, Putin totally irresponsible using weapons that are not allowed under the Geneva Convention. Putin, who uh, threatens use of chemical weapons, um, nuclear and the rest. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu. If you're watching on YouTube right now, like this video. Click like right this second. Drop an algorithmic engagement comment below. Pleases the algorithm robots and makes us more and more successful by the minute. Matt Kibbe is going to be here with his take on Biden's attacks on the right. AOC is making herself out to be a victim yet again. But we start by doing democratic incoherence. I wanted to give you that classic Nancy Pelosi clip to start the program because something hit me today. I don't know that I've ever realized this before, but thinking about it, almost every Democrat we hear from on a regular basis is unable to speak. Isn't that weird? Like, (laughs) isn't that a really strange phenomenon? Why is that? It's really weird. There's an incoherence going on uh, on the Democratic Party, within the Democratic Party, that limits the ability to communicate on almost every level. And it's kind of for different reasons. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, of course, uh, has kind of blurted out that weird thing about Vladimir Putin. She seems to get caught in her language all the time. Listen to this clip. We still support the one China policy. Okay. We go there to acknowledge the status quo Do you? is what our policy is. Okay. There was nothing disruptive about that. No. It was only about saying okay. China is one of the freest societies Free, in the world. Don't but, take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's oh. talk Strong a little democracy, bit. Yeah. Courageous people. Is it you or is it Freedom House that is drunk? I, I, is it, I'm not sure which one it is. Now, I guess maybe she meant Taiwan there. I love how the mainstream media can only say, yeah, after she said China was the freest country on earth. But like this stuff happens to her all the time. And I think it's important to categorize the differences as to why every Democrat you ever hear from is unable to speak. Nancy Pelosi, allegedly. I mean, not for her husband. That's that one's confirmed. But for her, it's allegedly just seems to be like vodka's the problem, right? Like, and I don't want to blame vodka. I happen to appreciate it, but there's something about potatoes served in that particular form that make her incoherent. Nancy Pelosi is always out there struggling, and I don't know, I think there's a dash of senility in there, but I think more than that, it just seems like she's plastered all the time when she's talking to you. So that's why that Democrat is incoherent. Of course, most famously, the president of the United States is completely incoherent. Um, Let's just go through some of these and just bring you down memory lane a little bit. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. 
I was in the foot, him, uh, foot, foot excuse me, the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping. That's not a word. Traveling with them. And that's we traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. Okay, that, I don't know what that story was, but this stuff happens all the time with Biden. Here's another example. This is not a moment for excuses no. or deflections right. or blame game. Right. We're, 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 it's a, we're in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. that had cost us more than 85,000 jobs as of today. Okay. Lives of millions of people, millions uh, of people, millions of jobs. You know, and we're in a position where, jobs. you know, we just got new unemployment insurance this morning, uh, n- numbers. 36.5 million claims since this crisis began. 36.5 million. Well, I mean, that's a lot. That's kind of a lot. Um, he's had trouble with almost every major topic he's been quoted on. And this is a problem when you're the president of the United States. You kind of have to deal with everything. And he's sort of dealt with everything in, unfortunately, the same way. That will enhance our underlying effort to accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their, take their, <laughs> their ill-begotten gains. Okay. <laughs> We're going to accommodate them. Yeah. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains. That's not how you... Oh, Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Kleptocracy. And klep- the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> <laughs> but these are bad guys. Yeah, gosh. That's really... I mean, that one actually makes me sad. I want to laugh at these, but some of them really do just make me sad. I know we made the triangle uh, at one point that sort of shows you, is it sad? Is it scary? Is it funny? Uh, All of these kind of hit me everywhere. Uh, It's just really a a sad thing to watch because here we are, supposedly the global superpower of the United States, and this guy is the guy most commonly associated with us at this point. So there you go. Um, Now, I will say, Joe Biden is always... Just just right in touch with the LGBTQQIA2 plus community. I'm also proud to have signed an executive order on my first day in office to combat discrimination against LGBTQLI, excuse me. Yeah, no, no worse. Uh, that, that was just a teleprompter flub, right? Like he saw an I and it thought it was an L. And that's considering the typical mistake Joe Biden makes, that's not that bad. I mean, it's just a, just a few letters off. You know, I mean, you can't really complain about that. And I think the Biden incoherence is tied to his cognitive de- decline. Right. He here's a guy who was always a little bit jumbled, always a little bit out there, but has really just disintegrated in front of our eyes. And I take no pleasure in telling you that. But I mean, you go back and watch uh, Joe Biden versus Paul Ryan in the debate, Joe Biden versus Sarah Palin. You see a totally different guy, a guy who kind of understood what the right approach in the debate was for each moment. Again, I don't think he was good in either one of those debates, but he was at least coherent. And now he is not, as we just uh, showed you, just a couple of pieces of evidence. Obviously, we could do the entire show just playing nonsensical babbling from Joe Biden. But I don't want to stick on that one too long because I want to talk to you about John Fetterman. Now, Fetterman is a guy running for Senate in Pennsylvania. And this is another kind of scary one, honestly. Let me give you a couple of these. Here's John Fetterman trying to get through a couple of easy sentences. Please understand the stakes in this race. Okay. Send me to Washington, D.C. to send so I can work with Senator Casey. Okay. Um, And I can champion champion the union way of life. Union way of life. 
in Jersey, in, excuse me, in D.C. In Jersey or D.C.? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank and you. it's an honor. I live eight minutes away from here. Oh, and when I leave tonight, I got three miles away. Dr. Oz in his mansion in New Jersey. You've got a friend and you have an ally. Send me to Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steelworkers. That was a roller coaster ride. This is. We've joked before about the weekend at Bernie's thing with with Joe Biden. This is this has got to be a worse example. I mean, I, this guy, they are just he's legitimately should be in a hospital. I, I don't understand what he's doing on the campaign trail. He's been hiding the entire time. He can't speak. And the reason he is incoherent is because he just had a stroke. And they're propping him up and rolling him around the state to try to beat Dr. Oz. Now, God, this is the freaking country we have right now. We've got a guy with a stroke who can't speak, trying, trying to defeat a guy who is on Oprah talking about kale all the time. That is our Senate race right now in one of the most important states in the Good God almighty. Here's uh, John Fetterman again. This is post-stroke and him trying to get through a couple of sentences. And you can count on us to eliminate the filibuster if you come out and step with us. We will be able to stand with you in D.C. I gave away the lieutenant governor governor in Pennsylvania, the only lieutenant governor in the history to do that. And let's, let's get some stuff done for America. Who would ever think that I would be the normal, the normal one in the race here, you know, with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and that was just, the Fetterman stuff is really just disturbing. I mean, they're, they're trying everything they can to get him through this race, and it's really disturbing. Um, geez, that's, that's awful to watch. And of course, the reason why, it's a stroke. That's the reason why that Democrat is incoherent. He was a socialist before this, and he remains a socialist, despite the fact that he wears a hoodie. But he was a socialist before this. Now he's a socialist who's trying to deal with a stroke and can't communicate, which is, I'm sorry, part of the job. That's part of your gig as a senator. You need to be able to speak. It's basic. How about uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre? Corinne Jean-Pierre, she is, of course, the... (laughs) Somehow, uh, the lead spokesperson for this administration. I don't know how this happened. Uh, Press secretary, here she is uh, talking to you about that very important pipeline in Europe. So you've heard us say this, that what what we see Russia's doing, and we've been very clear about this, is that they're using energy, they're weaponizing energy, and it's choosing to, to one of the things that uh, has been out there, to shut down the pipeline of Nordstrom 1. You, you do need to shut down Nordstrom. Uh, God only knows what Nordstrom might do. They are a terrorist organization, in my opinion. It's my opinion at any point. I mean, I've looked at my bank receipts. My wife seems to go there a lot. Uh, They are a terrorist organization, and I I stand by that. Um, How about uh, her interaction with Steve Ducey? Now, look, Corinne Jean-Pierre seems very, very nice. Um, It's an interesting thing to name her as press secretary. I maintain it was a PR 
campaign by Jen Psaki to make Jen Psaki look good. Just hire Corinne Jean-Pierre, then you'll look fantastic in comparison, at least as far as the job performance goes. Uh, but here she is getting caught by Steve Ducey. You know, she spent months and months and months and months and months saying anyone who denies the election, anyone who says an election is stolen is the worst person in the world. You're against democracy. You're a threat to the country, blah, 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 blah. And then Steve Ducey decided to look at some of her tweets. But just in trying to understand the new attention on the MAGA Republicans, you tweeted in 2016, oh, Trump stole an election. You I tweeted, was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Yeah, you were waiting. Well, here we go. <laughs> so obvious. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results yeah. is extreme now, yeah. why So let's let's be really yeah. clear that that comparison that you made is just ridiculous. Is I have been, I have ridiculous? been, well, you're asking me, you're asking me a question. Let me answer ridiculous. it. Wait, ridiculous. I was, I was talking specifically at that time at of what time. was happening with voting rights and the, what was in danger of voting rights. What was That's what I was speaking to at rights? the time. And here's the for, thing. I have said, Governor Kemp won the election in Georgia. I've mm -hmm. been clear you're about that. that. Now. Uh, I have said, President Trump won the election of 2016, and I've been clear about that. When you say what the opposite, you haven't been clear right about it. Let's not forget what happened on January 6, 2021, when we saw an insurrection, a mob that was incited by the person who uh, occupied this campus, this facility in, at that time. And it was an attack on our democracy. Let's not forget, people died that day. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I freaking love Corinne Jump here. I, I freaking love her. I, I know I shouldn't say that because I'm on a conservative network. I freaking love her. She is the light of my day. I love when we have clips of her. She's just struggling to get through the most basic things. If you, if you, you had been out, I don't know, tweeting about every, how every election that Democrats lost for the past four to eight years has been stolen, would you not be prepared with something? Would you not be prepared with something other than I've been clear that it wasn't stolen? Because it's impossible for you to be clear that it wasn't stolen when you tweeted that it was stolen twice. Wouldn't you be, I love her. I love, I love her clips. I love everything about this. This is, you know, this has been a tough couple of years. This is a gift to us. God gave us Corinne Jean-Pierre. She gave us this, he gave us this bright ray of sunshine for us to be able to delight in on a daily basis. And we should be thankful for that gift. I love, you don't believe me? Watch this. As you know, the good news is in August, the economy created 315,000 jobs, which is important. We have created nearly 10,000 million jobs since President Biden took office, uh, which is the fastest job growth in history. So you're asking me, where's the success? Here it is. Wait, let me finish. Wait, wait, hold on. 10,000 million. That's adorable. You can get mad about it all you want. That's freaking adorable. 10,000 million jobs. Now, I would say my, my nine-year-old would say that, but... There's no way she would say that. She would definitely know more about the topic than that. And I love how she says 10,000 million jobs and someone in the, in the media tries to rescue her. Ah, uh, don't you mean some, anything else other than 10,000 million? And the answer to that, of course, is no. In fact, she just rolls right over them and interrupts them. This is why I love Corinne Jean-Pierre. I freaking love her. And she, by the way, is incoherent because she's just out of her depth. 
She's a person that should not have this job. She's heard of some of these topics before, but she doesn't know anything about them. So people say them and she's like, oh, I remember that was on page 81 of my magical book. And she brings open the book and then she just reads to us. She reads to us like she's the secret mystery reader at a kid's class. And we all get to enjoy her little stories until she looks up from the book and then makes no sense at all. We know at least she can read. And that's the best thing we can say about her. But I, for one, love her. How about Kamala Harris? Oh, we love Kamala as well. And I particularly love this story, which if we were blessed with Corinne Jean-Pierre, we were cursed to not have this story in video form. Unfortunately, but this is a quote. This sounds quaint. I'm so reluctant to say it, but you know, I didn't eat a grape until I was in my 20s. Like, literally, I had never had a grape. I remember the first time I had a grape. I went, wow, this is quite tasty. It absolutely was ingrained so deeply in me. Never cross a picket line. This was a, you know, a, a story where she was um, going down the road of trying to assuage the, uh, the, the media and the, and the unions. And she's trying to say, oh, guys, guys, just... Don't worry about it. I would never cross a picket line. Of course, the actual boycott on grapes lasted from before she was 20 till she was 36. So she was completely lying as, as she always does. But there's a different reason she's lying. She's lying because of she's in a constant state of calculation. She's always trying to figure out what she can and cannot say. She's trying to figure out how to manipulate the audience in a way that will benefit her. It's a constant state of calculation, but her brain doesn't work fast enough for this. Maybe somebody else could pull it off. It's a difficult thing to pull off, but maybe somebody else could pull it off. Kamala can't. So she goes into this mode of calculation. She gets lost in her sentences. She gets lost in where she's going. And then at the end of the day, she sort of just lands in a place, wherever it might be, face first. That's Kamala Harris. So let me review here why we see the incoherence on the Democratic side. It's, it's all for different reasons. We have, of course, Nancy Pelosi. She's incoherent because of vodka. We have Joe Biden. He's incoherent because of cognitive decline. We have John Fetterman. He's incoherent because of a stroke. We have Corinne Jean-Pierre. She's incoherent because she's completely out of her depth. And, of course, we have Kamala Harris, who is incoherent because she's constantly in the mode of calculation, and she can't process all of the arguments fast enough. All of this just leads to just wonderful things for us. It might be bad for the country, but we can feast. And of course, I leave you with one of my favorite Veep thoughts. And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Because think about it, yellow school buses are our nation's largest form of mass transit. How about that? Every day. So yes, and let's applaud because it gets them where they need to go. <laughs> and every day, then think about this in terms of the numbers. Every day in our country, more than 25 million children ride to and from school on our nation's fleet of school buses every day. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. If you're anything like me, you have a certain tendency to put things off until, let's say, the very last moment. And while some of the time it works out, 
Sometimes it doesn't. The one thing you don't want to wait on is setting up your term life insurance. You've probably seen life insurance commercials on TV and thought, "Eh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, except I'll do it at any other time than this one. Well, this isn't something you can wait on. Choose life insurance through Ladder today. Do it the best way. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, just answer a few questions about your health in an application. They got a 4.8 out of 5 on Trustpilot. They made Forbes Best Life Insurance 2021 list. So they're, they're a well-known commodity. They know how to do this. And you just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. No hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. Get a full refund if you change your mind within the first 30 days. What's the risk? And ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of actually paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Finally, uh, since life insurance costs you more as you age, you now got to cross it off the list or a little earlier, or we're going to have to pay more and more and more as time goes on. So go to ladderlife.com slash stew today to see if you're instantly approved. L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Ladderlife.com slash stew. Check it out now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Happy to welcome Matt Kibbe back to the program. He is the president of Free the People and host of Kibbe on Liberty right here on Blaze TV. Matt, how's it going? It's great to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you. Are you as excited as I am that they have lifted the mask mandate from public transit in New York? I mean, this is... I, I was on the edge of my seat to find out if they'd figure out if this was working or not. I'm, you know, I'm actually surprised they ever did because I felt like at this point they were just going to keep <laughs> putting on the charade and, and pretending that they were better than the rest of us. But I don't know, maybe maybe the economy of New York and the small businesses that they've destroyed over the last three years, maybe that's starting to hurt um, the political class. Um, one, one would hope so, but I kind of wanted to see that a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. I have a, uh, a few friends who live in New York, and they say certain areas of New York are kind of back to normal where people live. But Midtown, which was all those office towers, just yeah. empty. I mean, no one's going to work. Still to this day, really a very small percentage of people are going back to the office. This is a vibrant city with all of its problems that has really taken it on the chin. Yeah, like, and it, it goes back to the sort of the haves and have-nots, and, you know, I call it the laptop class and the people that were told that their jobs were not essential, or they were told that they were essential until um, they got COVID, and then they were told that they had to get the jab and all that stuff that <laughs> right. we did. Yeah. Um, but Midtown is, is, is part of the engine that, that makes New York what it is, and it's a ghost town. I, was, uh, I finally went back a couple months ago, mm. uh, actually more like a month ago, and the village is pretty vibrant, so the beautiful people have their, their little <laughs> enclave. That's how it works, but isn't the, it? But yeah. the people that, yeah. that grind out a, a job every day, like they're the ones that have suffered, and New York is just a microcosm for the rest of the United States. There's a real divide between the people that paid the price and the people that imposed it on, on the people that paid the price. Yeah, you could tell these things are really falling apart now that uh, people on the left 
and then in the me- mainstream media that pushed this the whole time are now trying to act as if they weren't. Yeah. Like the school closings is the clearest example of this, right. where they're now, they're just like, we were the ones fighting for schools to be open. It's like, do you not, we were all here for this. We, yeah. we remember what you were saying. Yeah, we could actually watch the clip where you said it again and again and again. Well, they're freaked out, and I, I, think, I think they should be freaked out because I follow a lot of moms on Twitter who were absolutely voted Democrat their entire lives. They were, they were committed to, to sort of the old um, progressivism that, that defined their lives. And then the government did this to their kids. And mm. there is no going back. And you know, they, they, can, they can make up a story. We never said that. We didn't, we're the ones that wanted to open the schools. Um, these moms know better. And, and they're going to be in underreported swing vote, not just in the next election. I, th- I, think, it's a, I think it's a shift. Mm. And I just hope that, that Republicans, if they earn those votes, that they'll, they'll actually respect the, the, the mandate that they have instead of just saying, oh, we, we won because we're great. And because I'm not I'm not sure Republicans are great. It's just that Democrats suck so bad. <laughs> That's really all that animates our politics yeah. at this point. It's just that the, <laughs> the other side sucks so badly. Yeah. Um, let's go to because I'm interested in the idea that there's not only the mistakes that were made. And, and I have some level, even to this day, a bit of grace for the early days when things are going crazy. We don't know what's going on. You know, I think we would both agree if you lean on the on the on the, your foundational principle of liberty, yeah. you make the right decisions in the end. But uh, even while I would disagree with a lot of those policies, we were unsure about a lot of stuff. We didn't know everything. There were there was stuff that was unclear. People made mistakes. I don't like it, but I'll, I can have some grace for those early days. What I don't have any grace for is many, many months and years later when the government is still going to get people who disagreed with those, those uh, policy items banned from Twitter, thrown off the internet, uh, have their careers ruined, and we now kind of have an idea that maybe the government was involved in this the whole time. Yeah, we, 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 we keep learning. It's more than a drip. It's more of a fire hose at this point. We're learning that the Biden administration and hundreds, if not thousands, of, of bureaucrats within the Biden administration were, were dictating to social media companies on a regular basis who was allowed to speak and who wasn't. And it was particularly in, in the context of the critics of, of lockdown policies and vaccine mandates and masking and all of these things that we've been debating the last couple of years. And it turns out that um, at the highest levels of government, they were not allowing dissent. And, and mm-hmm. I, I've had um, a number of scientists, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who's one of the signers of the Great Barrington Declaration. He's a plaintiff now, um, but he was explicitly demonized as a fringe epidemiologist. Yeah. Stanford trained <laughs> fringe. Um, epidemiologist. The Stanford trained fringe, we all know that, his, that group. His colleague, Martin Koldorf, Harvard <laughs> mm-hmm. epidemiologist, and of course, Fauci and Collins, the, the bad guys in this story, they're not actually epidemiologists, they're vir- virologists, and if we're gonna throw around credentials, so, you had this intolerance of scientific debate, which is exactly what you need in a moment of radical uncertainty. We have this novel virus. We don't know how dangerous it is. We need, to, we need more data. We need more research. We need competing paradigms, people arguing with each other about what to do because, and, and this gets back to the, the liberty principle. Science is about dissent. Science isn't about um, we know everything and it's settled and we're going to impose it on you. That's the most anti-scientific thing you could ever say. 
And I think they did tremendous human damage by not tolerating really smart people with different opinions from expressing themselves so that we could figure our way out of this mess. They just made it worse and worse and worse. You know, it's, it's interesting, guys. I think uh, it's not, it's also anti-American, right? Yeah. Anti-science and anti-American. And the reason I say it's anti-American is we have this, this sort of principle of federalism, right? Where we're, these states get to have their own laboratories and they try their different things. And allowing a diverse set of opinions, especially from experts, not even just, it's not like random people were just throwing stuff out there. These are experts in their field. They disagreed with many people in the government. But like we saw some of this with the way red states treated the pandemic and blue states treated the pandemic. And I think the results are clear. You see people moving with their feet quite often here. Yeah, yeah. We, that should have been something we encouraged rather than vilified. And, and you know, in the defense of, of lockdowners, and I don't do this very often, but if you, think, <laughs> if you think about the public health officials who were so obsessed with the virus that they, they have their blinders on and they're focused on one thing, this virus is dangerous, so whatever we can throw at it is acceptable. Mm -hmm. the, part of the dissenting voices that came out of like the Great Barrington Declaration is they were looking at other things as well, because human health is the whole portfolio of things, including like, do you have a job? Do you have enough money to feed your kids? Um, do you have an ability to leave your house and exercise and and sort of common sense, obvious things? And it was it was essentially a debate between um, uh, public health officials like Jay Bhattacharya, who understands economics mm. and understands that there's no, it's not a trade-off between health and wealth. These things are intimately intertwined. You can't separate them. Versus like the science geeks, the smart guys, the, the, the progressive, we're going to tell you how to live your life guys. They didn't consider those things. Mm. And that's precisely why you need dissent. Isn't um, this, this is an argument against the Wilsonian government, right? Yeah. Like we, we don't throw experts in control of, of, of these situations exclusively. We hire politicians that are supposed to look at the whole picture. They might not be the smartest people. Yeah. They might not be experts in any of these fields. Yeah. But their job is to look at this in a holistic way where, you know, Fauci, maybe, you know, he wants to stop the virus. Maybe we all should have stayed in our bubbles. I guess that would have eventually stopped it. Who knows? Yeah. But that's not life. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a Chinese model that's going on to this day. Yeah. They're, they're going through a new wave of lockdowns in loyalty with Xi. So mm. it's, it's explicitly political. But, yeah, it's, it's Wilsonian. It's the progressive dream where we were going to put the scientists and, and the elites in charge of government, and they were going to tell us how to live our lives because we were just too dumb to do it for ourselves. It is a colossal failure in the context of the last three years. Um, I don't know how long it's gonna take to repair the damage, but at very least, um, we have to call out the people that did it and make sure that things like lockdowns Things like vaccine mandates have no place in American politics moving forward. Is there room on the right to criticize? Because I, mean, I think Fauci gets a lot of the beating here and deserves, <laughs> clearly deserves a lot of it. But, you know, Anthony Fauci might be that expert you were talking about. He's solely focused on the virus. He's, cre he's recommending all these crazy things just to shut down the virus. But it's up to our politicians whether we implement that stuff. It's up to Donald Trump whether... Anthony Fauci has a job. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, like, yeah. it's not just Fauci here. This is a failure across the political spectrum. Yeah. People get mad at me because I point out that that Donald Trump wanting to get ratings 
competing with Andrew Cuomo at the time, if yeah. you remember. Yeah, that's right. Um, Fauci was getting good ratings, so he platformed Fauci. And you know, you you can you can defend anybody in the early days, maybe who who fell for the lockdown trap, and Trump was was being sold these now completely specious numbers about how many zillions of people were going <laughs> right. to die if he didn't do this. And it was Fauci and Collins and, and Burks who had sort of created a cabal within the Trump administration to sort of browbeat him into this. But he's the guy that said he, he could manage the bureaucracy. And, and he absolutely failed in that instance. Yeah, I mean, he's not the only one. I mean, it, was, sure. it was widespread across the board. But still, it's something we should remember that these moments come and emotion overtakes principle. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you don't have these hardcore principles that you can go back to in times of crisis, there's no point. Like the, the, the whole point in having principles to be able to access those things yeah. when you when every decision seems difficult. It, it, it's a guiding force. And I think both sides of the aisle have lost that. And, I, you know, to defend the liberty position, and I, I said this in March of 2020, and I've been saying it ever since, the whole point of a decentralized response to a radically uncertain, potentially really dangerous thing is that you want to tap into the local knowledge. And, and you know, the market itself is just the process of people figuring stuff out and cooperating and discovering that, oh, guess what? The, the folks that run hospitals in Buffalo, New York, know more than the governor um, in Albany, by definition, because they're on the ground, they have that local knowledge. So what, what I always argued against the people that said there is no libertarian in a pandemic <laughs> is that we should all be libertarians because we're trying to figure out something that nobody knows the answer to yet. And you can either put all your eggs in, in one bureaucrat's brain basket. Mm -hmm. Is that a metaphor? That sure. Works? I like it. <laughs> um, or you could let um, all these these smart people and people with local knowledge and and fringe epidemiologists from Stanford and Harvard. You know, maybe we should let that process work itself out because you're going to come up with better answers. You were a libertarian before it was cool. Um, and then you've remained a libertarian after it became uncool. <laughs> and I don't know where it is right now. Yeah. Uh, one of the big ba battles on the right is talking about this sort of uh, fundamental embrace of, uh, of letting companies do what they want uh, that I think is inherent in a liberty position. On the other hand, these companies are starting to work with the government. And yeah. uh, it's a scary thing. And I, I mean, how do you deal with that from a libertarian perspective? It's 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 a it's a conundrum because um, if you dig into the Chinese social credit system, for instance, um, this is not socialism. It's a form of fascism where um, tech companies and banks um, are um, hand in hand with the government to um, impose the, the credit system and debank bad citizens for saying bad things about about the dictator. Um, that system is growing more and more prevalent in this country. Hmm. And this is what we saw, I think, with tech companies. I, I, I've been very critical of, of social media companies uh, stifling free speech. And now we learn that it's, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing where the, the tech companies were being dictated to by the administration and, and the very plausible threat that you know, Elizabeth Warren has said to Facebook, if you don't do what I say, I'm gonna break you up. Mm -hmm. um, but the tech companies seem to wanted to be <laughs> dictated to in that. Yeah. Um, I, that's why you, you need a total separation of, of government 
and business and big corporations, and, and by the way, the corporate structure itself is a government-granted um, um, structure. Sure. It's not necessarily a market thing, but when you get um, politics involved in all this stuff, uh, corporations become weapons that the government uses against us. So I think, I think you know, when, when some libertarians would say about Twitter, oh, they're a private company, they can do what they want, it's, it's not really true. Um, this, the, the, these, these big corporations are now grossly intertwined with government, and we should be against cronyism. Yeah as a first principle. Is there a way to push back? Because I, you know, my instinct is to, to say that, you know, I, I don't want the government dictating to a, a social media company what they have to keep on their website. Like that seems completely antithetical to yeah. everything I believe. But on the other hand, you know, like when they are becoming, as you mentioned in China, they're just an arm of the government. There's a some sort of legal separation there, but it's not real. So how do you push back against this from a, from a, from a position that's consistent with liberty? Yeah, well, the, the, the answer, it's easier said than done, is the answer is to radically deregulate the marketplace. Because you remember when Mark Zuckerberg was testifying two or three years ago, um, he said, yes, help us censor our language. <laughs> and, and by the way, I have an army of lawyers and lobbyists who would love to help you write the legislation. Yeah, yeah I bet. <laughs> and so, so in economics, this mm -hmm. is called uh, regulatory capture where the big guys, the big corporations, use um, their political pull essentially to make it impossible for the next competitor to enter the market. Imagine that the legal and, and complexity of a, of a structure of, of, of censorship, you know, some guy in his garage is not gonna be able to comply with that stuff. So I, I, think, I think you deregulate everything and you also look to blockchain solutions which are inherently unregulatable. Mm -hmm. Um, as the next sort of frontier of free speech. But I, I'm optimistic about this because um, starting somewhere, probably pre-Tea Party, probably with Ron Paul and maybe even all the way back to Howard Dean, the, the establishment's been freaking out about people having a voice in politics and in the public square. And every time you know the Tea Party rises up and all of a sudden the IRS gets involved and starts targeting Tea Partiers, um, uh, conservative voices, libertarian voices, small government voices um, kill it on social media, and all of a sudden we're, <laughs> we're shadow banning and deplatforming. So they're like whack-a-mole. Yeah. How do we stop people from having the freedom and, and their voices? And they're, they're now like just super desperate. And I, I, I think there's a solution around the corner. Um, I wish I knew what it was because then I'd get really rich betting on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I do think the crypto, uh, you know, the crypto world, the blockchain world has some of these solutions yeah. and can solve a lot of these problems. But it's a race between that technology. Really, I mean, it's still so difficult to navigate, even for someone who pays attention to it. It's a race between you know whether that's going to be squashed by the same forces. I mean, it, it, before it gets going, it yeah. could happen. Um, Matt Kibbe, president of Free the People, host of Kibbe on Liberty, right here on Blaze TV. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. It was great yeah, to see you. Good, great to be back. Maybe you've got a bunch of Bitcoin profits. You're just looking to put that into the real estate market. I mean, that's maybe, maybe you're buying a home right now and you've dealing, you're dealing with a market that's going up quite a bit, uh, has been for a while, maybe starting to peak and coming down the other way. All we know is that the market is always crazy when it comes to uh, home ownership. And you better make sure if you're going to go through one of the biggest financial transactions you're ever going to participate in, you better not screw it up. You better have a good real estate agent that knows the market. And that's why Glenn started realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, gosh, 
a long time ago now. It's been going on for a while, and he just had a bad real estate experience, and he thought maybe we should find some better way to do this, some way to screen through the agents with the best records. Now we have that. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person, whether you're buying or selling a home, no matter where you are in the United States. Get in touch with them. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Life is hard. Being a president is really hard. Imagine trying to live life as a president when you're senile. That's the situation our president is currently in. Yes, Joe Biden, pretty much senile. At least most of the day. Sometimes the drugs seem to push him over the... No, I don't know if that's true. That could be a bit of speculation. But the bottom line is it seems like he's senile. That's for sure. That's why we created the Senility Now line of clothing. Yes, you too can support Joe Biden in his fight against what he is facing. This very serious ailment he seems to be facing. And you can get it at stewdoesmerch.com, stewdoesmerch.com. The promo code is stew10. You can save 10% off your Senility Now material. You've also got Wokeness is Weakness, Andrew Cuomo is Awful, Nancy Pelosi Sucks Pens. You've got all sorts of really good stuff, a lot of cool logo stuff from the show as well. Plus the 62422 merch is up as well the day celebrating the overturning of Roe versus Waze. You can check that out as well. All up at stewdoesmerch.com. The promo code is stew 10 Imagine having one extra day every week to do whatever you want with. I mean, more time to cook, maybe more time to work on that novel you've been working on, maybe binge some reality TV. I mean, let's be honest, you're going to be binging reality TV. But it's all possible with ClickUp, the productivity platform that will save you one day a week on work guaranteed. ClickUp began with the premise that productivity was broken. There were too many tools to keep track of. Oh, gosh, I'm in the... This is one of those things that I think everybody who tries to run a business or work, does any sort of work realizes. There's a million different apps. You got your documents all over the place. You got your projects all over the place. How are you going to be productive? Have it all in one place. Well, ClickUp is here to help you do that. It's one tool to house all your tasks, all your projects, your docs, your goals, your spreadsheets, everything. It's built for teams from one to a thousand. And whether you're in project management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR, ClickUp has easy-to-use solutions that create a more efficient work environment. Uh, you can join more than 800,000 highly productive teams using ClickUp today. Use the code STU. you get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year, meaning you can start reclaiming your time for under 5 bucks a month. Sign up today. ClickUp.com. Use the code STU. ClickUp.com. The code is STU. Hurry. The offer ends soon. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, always the victim. This is her defining characteristic. Uh, She says, people say to her, oh, I want you to be president. And they're little girls. And she says it's very difficult to talk about because she doesn't want to tell a little girl that she can't do it. But that's exactly what she wants to tell the little girl. She says, my experience here has given me a front row seat to how deeply and unconsciously, as well as consciously, so many people in this country hate women. And they hate women of color. Now, I just, I said I love Corinne Jean-Pierre just moments ago. It's not true. People ask me uh, questions about the future, and realistically, I can't even tell you if I'm going to be alive in September. I mean, how dramatically, these quotes are gold. And it's not just the right wing. Misogyny transcends political ideology. Right, center, left, the grip of patriarchy. God, this is just a great day. This is a lot of great bunch of idiots we have out there. Um, let's see. Uh, she says she found that 
It was open hostility, open hostility to my presence, my existence. She says, I have always felt that the true power and true power of the United States relies on mass movements and social movements. So we don't know. Will she be running for president? I reminded you, and I think I was the first one to tell you, she's going to turn 35 years old just a couple of weeks before 2024's election. She's eligible, baby. We could have an AOC run this freaking election. And won't that be the joy of joys? Hey, hey, what do you say? How is Alexandria a victim today? This AOC article is utterly fantastic. I missed the stage direction, by the way, because it says, according to the magazine, her speech slowed to a crawl. She broke eye contact and tears. <laughs> tears pooled in the corners of her eyes. I, <laughs> she seriously, the amount of material we get out of this one buffoon. It's really incredible.